0: to live in a house we probably like more but then we went and did it again and found another house that was again being inherited by kids it was a this one was a true disaster i remember we said well we'll live in it for a year and i remember walking into the kitchen after we had closed on the house and owned it opening the the cabinet and the cabinet just fell off the wall what's up boss this is abraham's wallet
1: we span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Well, hello, everyone. We're, uh, we're back. Um, and I'm sitting here talking with Mark Parrott, um, who's in Salt Lake City. And... Um, We thought we'd approach a hot topic right now, which is the uh, purchasing and financing of homes. It's an interesting market these days, and I'm having conversations with people about the way their homes financed. I've got several friends who are moving homes, um, upgrading and downgrading. Um, if you got empty nesters that want to find smaller homes where they can get maybe a higher quality home with less maintenance etc of course there's always people who are interested well we got a small family we think we hoping for more kids we need a little more space there's a lot of movement that happens around houses and we thought we'd just give you some information about um, home buying and home financing so we want to center today on um, buying houses. And uh, Mark, you've got some recent, you not only have some expertise around this area as, a, as an advisor, but you've got some personal experience around this lately.
0: True? True. So we've bought and sold several houses as a family since I've been married to Amelia. And um, very recently, we were under contract on a house that we were really excited about. And it all fell apart, and it was sort of heartbreaking. But um, I think we're going to talk about that today. There's a lot of cool things that can happen right now, especially. Uh, you kind of mentioned it. We're not necessarily going to talk about financing today, but we are going to talk about it next week. Right. Um, but one of the reasons why things are going bananas gorilla right now is because interest rates are incredibly low. And so people can afford houses that maybe previously were renting, assuming that they have a down payment that they can scrape together. Um, And there's a lot of buyers in the market. And there's a lot of people like me who are thinking, well, I don't need a primary home, but I might like to add a home to my portfolio of assets that I'm trying to build up. And that might be a combination of reasons, whether it's a rental house or somewhere to have as a family retreat, or in our case, it was going to be both of those things. Um, so lots of, lots of stuff to talk about today. I think what we're going to do is talk through the home buying process in terms of before you even start shopping, how should you think about what type of home to, to look at all the way to closing and, and moving in. But, uh, we're going to hold on the financing topic cause it's just so big and I think a lot of people just show up at, a, at a, the first mortgage broker somebody recommends them to and says, give me, a, give me the rundown on what I can get for loans. And sometimes that's great, especially right now. Uh, you can get a good deal because rates are low everywhere, but we're going to teach you some things next week that are going to save you a gob ton of money, whether you're buying a new house or just thinking about refinancing the one you're in. So tune in next week for a very detailed discussion on mortgage finance. Uh, this week we 're going to talk about everything else related to home buying
1: yeah i i you 're mentioning the market and what a unique time it is. I had uh lunch yesterday with my friend John who is he 's in his seventies you wouldn 't think this would be a time for him to be buying and selling houses he 's in a he 's in a great sized house for he and his wife, but he feels like god 's calling him to move. He's sort of like, ah, I guess we'll, I don't know, test the market, and put his home up for sale. Um, and in the first day, they they got ten showings, and then the second day, had three offers, and they just picked the, <laughs> picked the best one. Um, um, he said that his real estate guy told him that that usually they they consider homes to be like stock you know like it's like it's inventory on shelves we got this many houses and so much as our costcos are running out of toilet paper and for some reason you still can't buy bleach wipes i i don't, I don't know why you can't but you can't buy them they're nowhere um he said the inventory on homes is usually that they they uh, track it and how, how much time could go by of, of normal buying load and, and, uh, put those people in houses. He said, normally they, they say that the inventory of homes is between two and three months. And he said, they say that right now the inventory of houses is at two weeks. And so it is absolutely a seller's market. So if anybody's been thinking about maybe selling your home, I would sell your home In the next two months. That'd be my recommendation.
0: That's a whole nother podcast episode, how to sell a house. Uh, And I've got probably another page of notes on that one too. But let's say that you're wanting to uh, purchase a house, Stephen. What do you think the first question that you should ask might be?
1: What kind of a house do I want to buy?
0: I think that would be reasonable. So... I think when people start looking at houses, they usually start with how much can I afford? And (laughs) I'm going to say that Stephen's question is better than how much can I afford? Um, What kind of house? What's the purpose of this home that I'm going to buy? And some of that is obvious. You might be buying a home as an investment property. And so you don't care so much about whether it costs X or Y, you care about the economics of the deal, maybe. Uh, You might be buying a house because you have been renting in a small apartment and this is a first home. And you know, our goal is to have a big family and this home probably won't be our home for the next 40 years, but uh, this is a place to move into and start building home equity. So it's a transitionary place. You might also put in the back of your brain, this could be an interesting rental house for our family to own in the future. Uh, So we're not necessarily just going to flip it into a bigger house in five years. Um, You might be looking for a complete junker like my family always has and say we want to buy something that nobody else wants so that we can get a cheap deal on it and turn it into something awesome. Uh, Or you might be the type that knows we suck at that and we want something completely done and that looks nice and it's going to be easy because of the stage of life we're in. So lots of decision points, I think, in what kind of house to buy. Uh, you've been through this a couple times, Stephen. Did you did you have any times where you thought, well, we really nailed it or whiffed on buying the right kind of house for the stage of life we were in?
1: I've bought a grand total of one houses
0: in my life right but you did move into another that was owned
1: and i have to say in both scenarios when i moved in with my wife who had bought a house as a single woman and the selling of that house and the buying of this house i I gotta say it's been all home runs in my world it just i felt uh, they were both god-led god-ordained there was That's no cool. there was no skill or
0: savvy required. I think that for us it's been similar except I do look back on like the first house we purchased.
1: I think we, you guys have been very savvy with your home purchases.
0: We moved from Washington DC to Salt Lake City and you know Salt Lake City is not a cheap market and now it's a very not cheap market. But when we moved here, we were living in this really really ratty apartment in Arlington Virginia across the river from Washington DC I had negotiated with the the landlord to to let me rent it for 999 bucks a month um even though every house in this neighborhood outside of this rundown apartment building was you know a three bedroom one bath 1400 square foot bungalow that cost a million dollars because people were knocking them down and building huge mansions on these tiny lots, so it was a really expensive place. But I managed to score this this cheap apartment, and and uh, we moved to Salt Lake, and it was like there are houses here that are nice for for our eyes. They were nice for two hundred thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. And it blew our minds because we were like, man, if we save and we both continue working in finance and medicine, we could buy a house when we're 45 uh, in DC. (laughs) Um, So we bought kind of a starter house and I look back and and we made, I think, $5,000 on it after living in it for four years. Um, So the market really didn't go up. Uh, That was after selling costs. So we made a little bit of money, but... The interesting thing is kind of when I look back, that house after we moved out changed hands three times in the next five years. Wow! And so it went for—I think we bought it for two fifty and sold it for two seventy-five, something like that. And within five years, it had sold for over five hundred thousand dollars. Oh my goodness! Um, now. I don't think that's a total loss. It also went from probably a $1,300 a month rental value to about a $2,500 a month rental value. Yeah. Um, I would like to still have that house in my portfolio now, um, but we sold it and it allowed us to buy another house that was worth a lot and and went up even more. So there's there's good and bad to that, but I do look back at that one house and go, man, if I could have taken my own advice that I give a lot of people now and and turned that into a, an investment property for a few years would have been pretty sweet.
1: Yeah. Well, I I feel like people getting into rental homes or figuring out a way to, to keep the um, starter house that they're moving out of. That's a pretty tricky wicket for people to do because usually They're taking all the equity out of that starter house as you guys were and putting it, they're trying to go big and have nothing left over. And also, I think it's really daunting for people to um, get into the rental house thing at all. I, I actually lied. I remember me and a friend bought a rental house in Kansas City and we had that for like five years. And made a zero on it. We made absolutely zero money uh, um, when we sold it, and we weren't making any, weren't making any money on it when rent was coming in. Um, it's a tricky thing. You you got it. You got to know what you're doing when it comes to renting, or renting a home. I think.
0: Yeah, I've owned a rental house, and the the t- quick tips I have is never own a rental house that's a long way away from your primary residence, uh, unless it's the economics are so good that you can afford to hire a full-time property manager in that location. Um, The other thing that I think people don't think about very often is when you buy a primary residence, they will give you a good rate on the mortgage because you're going to live in it and that's less risk for them versus if you were buying it just as an investment. Well, you don't change mortgages when you move out if you turn that into a rental. Uh, So, I do think that choosing a starter home type place that you could envision as a rental property someday has a lot of benefits. You'll get a cheaper mortgage, you have lower payments, which will make it easier to cash flow that property someday. But also, you've lived in it for a couple of years and you know uh, that sink, it leaks. And I would like to fix it now, not at 2am when a renter calls me and it's finally actually busted. Or I know every in and out of how this house works, and it'll take me no time to bop over on a weekend and fix something. Versus if I bought a, a rental property I had never lived in and gotten to know, that's gonna probably be a lot more visits from the plumber or the handyman than than I want. So I, I do. I'm hot on this idea of converting your first home into a rental for people, especially in the mortgage market we're in right now, but that's a topic for next week. But
1: but you would say that for uh, a, say a, a, a young married couple, they'd have to be thinking that way before they even choose that house. They would have to be thinking when we move out, we're gonna keep this as a rental.
0: Yeah, and it, that's why I say starting with what kind of house I want to buy is an important question because a rental house is going to have different characteristics if that's your primary goal than a house that's just your dream house, you know. Not everybody wants the, uh, you know, the 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 ball pit room or the Teletubby yeah. display counters that you yes. want in your uh, in your home. Teletubbies—that's yes. not the right word. I'm thinking of Beanie Babies. Oh,
1: Beanie Babies! Yeah, this reminds me. Yeah. So this reminds me, I'm looking right now for the the house that we're going to be renting the Airbnb that we'll get for our uh, summit, a year in summit in December. And and it crossed my mind as I'm clicking through pictures of living rooms and bedrooms, it just crossed my mind. You know, if the word funky is in the description, I'm not interested in that house.
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's a there's probably a whole nother podcast that we need to do. I don't know that I need to be involved, but where you talk <laughs> through the economics of how you've built up that, that Beanie Baby collection, and <laughs> the returns you're hoping to see. But, oh yeah, it's
1: going to be great.
0: But yeah, so I there do is have a, different... a box
1: of I do have a box of 80s baseball cards. And the market has completely evaporated since 15 years ago for for baseball cards. I'm just thinking, well another 20 years. It might come back around. never know.
0: Well, this episode is actually sponsored by Stephen Manuel's Baseball Card Collection, <laughs> which is available at yeah, on great eBay. prices. So once you've figured out this is the type of house we're looking at, there's another big question that you should ask yourself. And it's, how much can I afford? Um, that's where I, I kind of mentioned most people start. And there are some there are some standard guidelines for how much you can afford, and then we're going to give you some, some hard truth on that. The kind of adds to what a, a lender or somebody might tell you. All right, so, tell
1: us what can we afford.
0: So, the the principal and interest—that's kind of the the principal you're paying back on your mortgage plus the interest payment, plus the taxes, which can be very low if you live in a place like Salt Lake City. Or extremely high if you live in a place like Texas, where they get all of their revenue from real estate taxes. And finally, the insurance. So, principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. That combined each month, the guideline is that it shouldn't be more than 28% of your gross income. So, before taxes and everything. Now, I'm going to tell you if you are at 28% of your gross income, and you don't live in a place like California, where that's just the state of nature is you have to spend that much on housing, Uh, you're going to feel pinched. That's a lot. Um, Because depending on your tax rate, that's 28% of your gross. Well, 25%, give or take, is going to come out for taxes. Um, We're down now to about a quarter for taxes, a quarter for housing. And I've got Less than than half of what I earn, to to do the rest of my living. So that's the guideline. Twenty eight percent, though. If you're all all the way pinned to that number, you're gonna feel a little pinched because that does not include other items that are involved in owning a home. You yeah. Go ahead.
1: I would just say, as a as a former mortgage broker, I would just remind everyone that what banks um, they want you beholding to them. So they would love to have that number as high as conceivably possible and still keep you in a place where you can, if everything works right, you can make payments. So they want you borrowing as much money as possible. So I think it's foolish that we would just by default say, um, well, I, I'm." they approved me for this much money. So that means I should borrow that much money and it's totally safe. That's kind of like saying, well, it's legal to smoke pot in, in, uh, Colorado. So I'm sure it's fine for me to do that. That's not necessarily the case.
0: And I just went through this process. I mentioned we were under contract on a home. Uh, they told me you guys have great credit. We'll go up to 45%, um, for you guys. And that that 45 was not just on the mortgage but they said we'll we'll go up to 45% on all the debt payments that you have compared to your income. Uh this was a like I said kind of an investment property so that included our other mortgage which I think was at 9% of our current income. Uh so he's like you know you've only got 9% there you guys don't have any other debt we could get you a loan for a whole lot of money. And I oh, was he excited. doing the math thinking we would be bust O immediately. So
1: He's excited. He smells a big commission.
0: Don't take your cues from the mortgage broker when it comes to how much I can afford. And when you think about that percentage of income, don't just think about principal, interest, tax, and insurance. There's right. other costs. How much are utilities? Did you know that you can get your realtor, if you're working with a realtor, to generally go pull historical utility payments for a property and you can see oh they're spending four hundred dollars a month in the winter on gas this house might not be very efficient did Um,
1: not know that that's really good
0: then that may or may not mean you want to run away but we're going to talk about what to do in the due diligence process Uh, there are ways you can investigate expenses for me, I was looking at, like I said, a, a property I wasn't going to be living in all the time. So I needed someone to take care of the yard. And this place was in kind of a resorty spot. Well, the lawn care and the snow removal people know. Of that course. There's, there's people who own homes there. Snowbirds. And, and the snow removal and lawn care was going to cost 400 bucks a month. Holy um, cow. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to drive up there every week to do this myself because I'm not going to be able to pay that much money. Wow um so there's a lot of items of total cost and don't forget them you're gonna need uh, to pay for utilities even things like internet what are the options in the house i'm moving into are they expensive or cheap factor all that in and then
1: HOA is huge
0: if there's a homeowners association that could be big or small Uh, generally we think about one percent of the price of the home as a fair starting point for maintenance uh, each year just to keep things working. That's not to improve anything. But if you have a $250,000 home, you can expect that you're going to need to spend about 2500 bucks a year just keeping it running.
1: Yeah, that's um, good.
0: And if you have a beat roof on that house, you can think about $10,000 minimum in addition to that $2,500 a year. So there's a lot of gotchas when it comes to the expenses of home ownership. And this is where people sort of ask, why would I ever rent? Well, there are reasons to rent if you don't want to handle all these expenses right. at the moment you're in, in life. So you've got an idea for how much I can afford. You've thought about all these things and you say, I can, I can afford it. I know what kind of house and I know what my price range is. Let's talk about the buying process. What should someone who's never done this expect?
1: Fascinating. Let's talk about it. I don't know anything about buying a house, really.
0: Well, the first thing that you'll do is you'll talk to some realtor, probably, uh, although you don't have to. And that's, that's uh, a, probably a whole nother podcast. Um, but most people who are buying a home, it makes sense to talk to a realtor. They'll work for you, the The seller will pay them. And you'll probably be scouring the the MLS listings where they show all the houses that have been listed for sale. and And you'll say to your realtor, hey, can we go look at these? And they'll say, sure. Uh, back in the olden days before the internet, the realtor would literally just put you in their car and take you to houses and say, I've chosen four for you to see. And that was what you got to see. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. And and are you imagining this
1: this real estate agent being kind of a swinging lady in her mid fifties who's still kind of dressing like she's thirty and she's like chewing a big wad of gum and got like glamour like driving a Lexus and glamorous purse is that was that what you're thinking
0: I don't know Stephen I think my experiences have been so different Uh, I've had that realtor I've Uh had the young like skinny kind of slacks cuffed with loafers and cool like dude guy that that looks like he's ambitious. Yes. Uh, I recently have been on the kick of, I'm not going to hire a realtor for buying. I'm going to call the selling agent and say, Hey, I want to buy this house you've listed. And you can keep all the commission or you can give me someone in your firm. Cause I know what really happens there is listing agent says to one of her compatriots, Hey, will you represent this guy? And I will give you some of the commission, but the selling agent gets real motivated for me to be the buyer in that case, because they're keeping more than their share. Most likely. Mm, this is all interesting. hypothesis. Interesting. But you go look at houses, you find one that you like, and you make an offer. Um, and the way this works is, you write out an offer, they send it to this to the sellers. The sellers look at it, and they could say, "Yes, we'll take it." In the current market around here, a lot of houses are getting, like you said, ten offers in the first day, and so the winner might be five percent over the asking price easily. Um, but if it's been on the market for a long time, I hope that your offer is a little bit below the asking price. Um, Mm -hmm. and you'll go back and forth and sometimes you'll be haggling over price. Sometimes you'll be haggling over the deadlines for how soon this, this deal is going to close or how much time you have to do due diligence. We'll talk about what that means. Uh, there's, there's other things. That sometimes the, the seller is like, well, I'll sell it to you, but I want to lease it back from you for two months because it's going to take me a while to find a place to live. Um, all sorts of things could be in that contract, but the the basic tenants are, here's how much we're going to offer. And when you write that contract, you're going to put earnest money in. So earnest money is money that you, the buyer, put down and it's held in escrow, which means uh, it's going to be held by a third party. And it says, we promise that if everything goes according to this contract and we back out after the point at which we're not allowed to back out anymore, then the seller gets to keep this money. And it can be a thousand dollars or it can be $40,000. That depends. And that's a part of an offer is, uh, if if there's a ton of offers, somebody might put down a bunch of earnest money to show that they're really serious about this. Now, what's important is you get that earnest money back if you bail within the time period that you're allowed to bail for different reasons. So there's a there's usually a two to three week period in which you can just wake up and go mm, change my mind and send them a little cancellation, and you get your earnest money back and you walk away, no problem so this is something that maybe we should
1: all put our homes up for sale and ask for a lot of earnest money and then just pull them off the markets what would that do for us it would let me keep earnest money
0: no so you don't get to keep earnest money if you pull out as the seller Um, shoot and in fact the seller does not have the same leeway as the buyer in this process The buyer is the one that has a few weeks usually of due diligence time in which they can do all their investigations of the house and see if they really want it, or they can just think about it. And in that time period, no obligation. The only time the earnest money comes into play is if you get past those deadlines. It's called when the earnest money goes hard. And if you back out after that point, seller keeps your earnest money. So you don't ever want that to happen. It's never happened to me. It would be very bad.
1: So when you you, you can put down an offer. You, you put down an offer, you add earnest money to it. I'm presuming that earnest money comes out of the buying price. That's right. And the you could the higher you can make that as high as you want and it signals I'm really serious and you should you should consider me first.
0: Yeah, the big difference I mean you will have to cough up that earnest money at the time of the contract so you can't just make it an imaginary number it it, that check generally will be cashed Uh, so you need to have the cash on hand and your realtor usually will tell you well this is kind of what people are doing at this type of home in this price point um but um the, the earnest money is relevant for this due diligence period that we talked about. And that means when you write the contract, you say, I need three weeks to go through this house head to toe and evaluate it to make sure everything is is in order and good to go. Um, and that is when you will want to have a home inspection. Fascinating. You, you guys bought that house that you're sitting in right now, Stephen, and... Did you have a home inspection on it?
1: Yes, there was a home inspection on this. Did house. they
0: find anything wrong with it? Because it was pretty sparkly when you bought it, right?
1: Yeah, I think it was two years old or, or right thereabouts, and I, I think they said there was a corner of the house where there so there was some leaves that need to be swept up. Other than that, <laughs> it was all it was very new. It was nice. So that I'll is tell not the normal. story of buying my house. I'll tell the story of buying my house at some point.
0: Okay, today?
1: Because it's a God moment. Yeah, it's during this conversation.
0: Okay. Um, well, that's not a normal inspection, just so you know. No, no. And this is something that I think a lot of first-time homebuyers get really nervous about. But I think of myself as somebody who's developed a very um, steely, a steely jaw when it comes to listening to a home inspector tell me everything wrong with the house because I've just gone through it enough now to know that there's always about a million things wrong with the house and some of them matter and some of them don't. Uh, But you want to find a good home inspector. The more persnickety they are, the better they are. You don't want somebody who's going to tell you it's great. Uh, You really want somebody who thinks everything is just an absolute essential necessity that you have to know about. So think about who you choose for a home inspector and maybe even ask for some some references because I've, I've had good ones and bad ones. They'll go through the house and they will tell you everything that they find if they're good at their job. They'll say, well, this outlet, this is a problem. You know, this has no, it, it, it's got reverse polarization on this outlet and these, that's going to have to be fixed. This is not, a, this is a fire safety. And if you're a first time home buyer, you might go, oh my gosh, he found seven outlets that Need that? What? And then you realize later, oh, that's a Home Depot trip and you know, $15, $15 and we've got it taken care of. Yeah. Um, other things a home inspector can really help you out on. So I bought a house that he said there's cracks in the concrete. Well, if you've been in a basement that's in a house that's more than 20 years old, there's always cracks. Concrete is guaranteed to crack. Uh, it doesn't usually mean anything. This guy said, this means something. This house on the side of a mountain that you're thinking about buying has dropped too much, even though you can't see it. And this crack here, it's different from all the other little cracks. Um, and we thought, oh, that that's going to kill this deal. We're not going to be able to do it. But we brought it to the sellers. We said, hey, this is a problem. And the only fix is to spend $50,000 drilling 30 feet into the bedrock of the earth and using hydraulic jacks to Good gravy stabilize the house. And we thought, well, we'll tell them and they'll probably say, screw off. And that'll be the end of this home purchase deal. We'll take our earnest money back and walk away and find another house. But in that case, the seller said, yeah, well, we're gonna have to do this no matter what it sounds like. So we'll just do it. And so they threw that in. Um, because they felt like, um, they're going to have to fix it either way. And that is something that you kind of want to keep in mind is that once a seller knows about a big problem, they are legally obligated in the future to provide that information to future buyers. There's a document that you get once you go under contract called the seller's disclosures, and that has everything that the seller knows either is wrong with the house or used to be wrong and they fixed. Um, this house we just backed out of one of the big problems is we found so many things that clearly the seller knew about and did not disclose. So,
1: This is juicy, tell us some of the things.
0: Yeah, so normally the inspector tries to kind of wow you with everything they were able to find. Look at how great of an inspector I am. Like there's a slow leak in this toilet and there's this guy, he's like, look, I know you've done this a bunch, and I know you think I can handle a rough inspection report. He said, I'm not one to tell people whether they should or shouldn't buy a house, but I would really think hard about whether you should buy this house. Um, and he started with the little things and I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is fine. I know how to fix this stuff. And then he started showing me places where, see this? This is a place that they've repaired something and not told you. And it's interesting that it's behind a sofa. Dun dun. Um, and I thought, oh, okay, well, leaks, we can fix leaks. And then he started showing me pieces of the home's construction that were done poorly. Oh, my. And this particular home was a log construction home, it was a log cabin. Um, and he basically went up to one of the logs at one point and said, right here, where you can see everything, it's been fantastically maintained. But when we walk over here to where you can't see it, and he just like reaches in and grabs a hunk of a log out and goes never sealed never taken care of oh, this is no and when logs on a log home start failing the house falls over so oh my goodness it's like if your studs were rotting in a in a normal stick build home so that was interesting and <laughs> it it really ripped our hearts out cuz we were kind of in love with this location and this place uh. it was going to be a home for for our family and and for other people to to enjoy so we're we're back on the hunt but we'll see
1: wow okay so that's inspections they're important and also there's some things that you have to take with a grain of salt and go this isn't a big deal but you
0: should you should pay attention to them when you when you buy an inspection there's going to be a few little extras that they offer you you can think about whether these are important to you but a couple that are really popular here or do you want to have it tested for radon? Do you want to have it tested for meth? Uh, and do you want to have the sewer line scoped? So, here's how I think about if it. If it's
1: really. if it's high in meth, does that drive the price up? Because maybe you can sell you that. You could harvest on the it. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> you just let the local junkies sit in your basement and breathe. Um, no. <laughs> So I've never had a home come back for meth. Although my neighbor just bought an apartment complex in our in our neighborhood, and it was a joy to the whole neighborhood when he bought it because it was known to be an unsavory uh, blight uh, amongst a bunch of families and their their homes. And there's some duplexes and. But this one apartment complex Is is that
1: the place between you and the smoothie shop on
0: the right? Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a disaster, and now it is a delight full of You know it's
1: driving up up up.
0: Yeah, it's full of great neighbors. We love it. It's great. But when he bought it, it tested heavy for meth. So <laughs> he spent about $150,000 oh my stars on meth remediation. So Sheesh. uh praise God for Connor, but yeah. Thanks. Those Connor. types of things are important. One here's my quick tip. Um I know that you guys can't see the video, but Stephen can. And this right here is a radon tester. And I bought this for less money than the inspector wanted to do a single radon test.
1: That's hilarious.
0: And now I have a radon test device anytime I want to evaluate a home that I own. So I don't have to pay for a $150 radon add-on every time.
1: So if you go to a friend's house for dinner, you could just run that and go like we're not really comfortable staying in this house for dinner. The Radon is <laughs> Yeah, it does high. take
0: about 7 days to run, so. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. But little little quick tip there. Um on the sewer scope, I've had sewer lines scoped. They went, "This sewer line is great." And then 4 months later, the sewer line blows out. So I've stopped paying for those, but if you are in a position where a $10,000 repair to the sewer line would break you, then get it checked. That's kind of my, my feedback there. For me, I really, when I'm doing an inspection, I'm looking for things that would financially be disastrous, not things that are little fixes. So we can replace a toilet. We can fix electrical. I know how to do that stuff. It's cheap, but when there's a
1: logs rot in a log cabin, Yeah. That might not be a good deal.
0: I found out that those can be fixed too. It's per log about ten grand to replace the logs. Because they have to lift the whole
1: house. That would be fascinating to watch that replacement happen.
0: Yes. But it could be double the cost of rebuilding the home if they had to do very many logs. Sheesh. So that's what I'm looking for. It depends on your situation. If you're If you think, oh, this house is totally good to go and we've spent right up to our budget, uh, then you might be looking for, well, we can't have a lot of little to-dos that need to be fixed. But if you're looking for kind of what my wife and I always look for, which is a junker, and you're going to tear into it eventually anyways, then you're really just saying, we want it to not fall down. We don't want to have to replace a $30,000 roof or something crazy like that. Otherwise we're good with lots of things being on the, on the weekend tick list.
1: Gotcha. Would you, would you pause and tell us just describe. just, I'm thinking of a, of a 20 year old who's out of college, he might have some savings and he's, and he's getting his first job and he's gonna, he's gonna be in the, you know, future executives program. So he's making good money. And he's thinking, I think I might like to to buy a house. Um, Would you just describe your process for what you guys have done with buying houses?
0: Yeah. In terms of the financial analysis.
1: Yeah. Like why you've chosen the houses that you have and what you've done with them and then how you've unloaded them strategically.
0: The first house I bought, I was almost the guy you just described. I was 21, I was not yet married. And I saw how rapidly house prices were increasing around the country. And I thought, well, of course I'll want to move to Austin, Texas someday. Uh, because that seems like the coolest place you could live. And houses are going crazy, but I, and I can't afford one where I am in DC, but I could afford one in Texas. And so I'll just buy a rental home and someday I'll be able to move into it if prices keep going crazy and I can't afford one later. You haven't
1: mentioned this question with looking for houses, which would be quite high on my list, which is what is the food situation around this house like? And if you're in Austin, that's probably a good, it's probably a good setup for you taco wise.
0: Yes, breakfast tacos even um that's true sorry back to your story we could talk for another 30 minutes about what the neighbor setup is too that's a thing i didn't pay attention to at all until now and uh, it's like i'm looking in the yards and this is probably this is probably illegal but and just uh, because
1: it just came to mind you always want to visit if you're thinking of buying a house always go by and visit it at night and see what's the situation around that house at night. What's the lighting like? Who's out on the streets? Because you're usually doing trips with your real estate agent at between 10 and four, and it's, everything's quiet. All's beautiful and lovely. Just go by, I'd say go by at six and go by at 10.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, So that, that house I bought in Austin was a, Financially, it was kind of a disaster. Um, and that's why I said, trying to manage a place remotely, not the best. I remember calling the tenants that were already in the house when I bought it. And this was billed as a, a perk of that house. Oh, great tenants. Long time. Yeah, they're already in there. It's and I done. said, hey, I'm going to change their names, but hey, I'm calling for Bob. This is Mark, the new landlord. And the answer just came very curtly Bob's in jail. and i thought well that's not a good start uh okay who's who's this and i Uh. talked to the person and um bob did eventually get out of jail and and just it was a it was a constant wrestling match to get rent payments even when i said hey guys i don't think you can afford this house i will forgive you everything you owe me if you'll just move out so i could get a new tenant uh they wouldn't do it and then eventually would cough up rent plus late fees and it was oh kinda, boy it was kind of a disaster but i learned a lot and when bob moved out i had a conversation with the sheriff because i said hey sheriff my tenant moved out and he took all the appliances that belonged to me oh my word and the sheriff called me back a day later and he said good news and bad news i found bob the bad news is he's already back in jail somewhere else so I don't he know if sold you're getting your appliances
1: your, for $50. I don't
0: know if you're getting your appliances back.
1: Oh my
0: goodness. That's um, wild. That type so, of stuff can be character building, but it's not super fun.
1: No. So you, you, what I'm driving at is that when you say you, you're talking about buying, um, you're, you are always looking for low end houses in a, in a, up uh, in a, in an, in an area that's moving up. so that that you can recapture a lot of um, equity opportunity by doing improvements to a house. That's not something I want to do, but you guys have made a lot of money doing that.
0: Yeah, and we've talked about it a lot on the blog. We bought a house in Salt Lake that was in the ritziest neighborhood, one of the top neighborhoods in the city. It was half the price of most of the homes in that neighborhood, and we hit it when it had just been kind of inherited by kids. So they really just wanted it off their hands. Uh, they they weren't interested in, in living there or anything. And we were able to get it for a steal. I think for us, one of the keys in that house was we lived in it for a couple years before we did any reno- major renovations. I think we spent a couple thousand dollars just making it livable. Um, but we made a fortune on that house because at some point we realized we don't like living in the ritzy ritzy neighborhood it's way up in the mountains we want to be able to walk to places we want families most of the people that lived up there were in their 50s and 60s Um, but we certainly found other people who wanted to live up there when it came time to sell that and we kind of went we could sell this house pay off all of our debt uh, and live in a house we probably like more but then we went and did it again and found another house that was again, being inherited by kids. It was a, this one was a true disaster. I remember we said, well, we'll live in it for a year. And I remember walking into the kitchen after we had closed on the house and owned it, opening the, the cabinet and the cabinet just fell off the wall. Oh. Uh, so was this it, the
1: one where you kind of go down from the, from the street level? And it was the it was big, wide, sprawling with all the windows on the front, and it had the it had the it had it was a kind of terraced in the back.
0: No, that was the one up in the ritzy neighborhood. Oh, okay, okay. The one I live in now is the one I'm describing. Oh, which, I
1: see. The cabinets fell off.
0: Yeah, I mean there was so much. It had burned to the ground back in the eighties, and and the homeowner rebuilt it, which was cool. Except I think they must have run out of money or something because. He had decided to finish all the electrical himself. So there was a room with 15 can lights and each one had its own light switch. There was a bank of 15 light switches <laughs> on the wall. So we could really create some mood lighting. Oh my stars. I think it was just a guy who didn't really know how to, to chain up those, those lights and uh-huh. decided, well, I know how to do one per switch. So that's what I'm going to do.
1: Well, you guys are now... I know so many people who have done this, that this is just their life pattern is that they know that every five years they're going to go find a new place that they can make great and sellable. And then they're going to move on to a new place. It's actually part of like their financial plan for their lives because it gets them in a cheaper house. They know that they're going to make, I don't know, 50 K every, every three to five years. And I would just say for you guys, you've gotten uh, really savvy at knowing where the return is possible. I mean, you could look. You walked into the, your present house, and you're like, "All we have to do is make this kitchen and living room one big area, and that right there is going to be a is going to be a big return." I just feel like you you're both you and your wife are just smart at how you look at houses now because you've because you've done this a couple times. So in the house that you're in, you said you got an awesome deal on it. It was burned to the ground. Uh, you guys, you continue to do improvements on it. You're about to do a, another improvement on, uh, in the basement. And, and as of now, just wow us with how much equity do you think that you've, you've gained in that, in that house,
0: uh, from, from what you have put into it to what you can get out of it? Um, you know, to say what we put into it, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, both of the last two houses, this one and the previous, were purchased in the 500 range and sold dang near or over the seven-figure range. Hallelujah. Um, And so the last one, we, we actually didn't put a whole lot of money into it. We put a lot more kind of sweat equity into it. And this one We've put a lot more money into because it was even more of a disaster, but it will be worth more someday. I really mm-hmm. hope that this isn't our life pattern, though. I would like to live yeah. in this house for sure, sure a sure. while. Uh, but especially
1: but- that process that we're starting, most people have a starter home that they're in as a young couple and most people move from that thing when they start having kids they move to a more established home. So if you know that pattern is coming as it is for many many people there's ways to to exploit that opportunity. Okay, back to what you're saying, the process of buying. Let's let's wrap this up.
0: Yep. So just to kind of replay the timeline of events is go talk to a lender figure out how much they'll they'll lend you. You can get a pre-approval letter which says this person is is good for this much money that can help you when you make an offer. Identify a home, make an offer, go back and forth with the, the terms of the offer until you get it agreeable to both parties and then you'll be under contract, you'll have earnest money that you'll put up. Um, there will be deadlines in that contract that say for the next three weeks they can rummage through the house and figure out what all is wrong with it. In that process, you might have a few more additions to the contract that say, hey, we found out this house really desperately needs a new roof. We want you to give us $5,000 back at closing to pay for that half of that roof or all of that roof, whatever it is. Um, That can happen. You can also put extensions in there that say, we've unearthed some things that we need to... uh, to investigate longer. So we're going to need more than three weeks uh, and that can happen. Um, But eventually you get to the end of the deadlines, everything closes and you show up at some title company with your lender and maybe your real estate agent and sign a thousand pieces of paper that nobody reads at all. and then you own the house. You That is closing and they'll hand you the keys usually a day after that when all the money transfers are done yep. and you get to start moving in.
1: Yeah. And then you really get to start spending money.
0: Yeah. Uh, someday we'll probably have somebody on here who, who does like design and decoration and talk about even if you're going absolute bare bones, how much does it cost to to move into a house and, and put furniture in it, for example. But yeah, there's a lot.
1: So that's buying a house, some things to look out for, or what were you going to say?
0: Well, maybe just to kind of close us out, because we've talked a lot of logistics. I I think in every house we've owned, there's been a component of the Lord just either saying yes or no. to big decisions we were going to make. And like that one I talked about, we, we the realtor said, you're insane asking them to do this huge foundation project. No one would do that. And we said, that's fine. Uh, Lord, yeah. make it so if it's supposed to happen. And you have a story that maybe you could kind of take us out with of how the Lord gave you guys a house. And I think that could be encouraging to people.
1: Yeah. Well, I just to, to piggyback on what you just said, when we were ready to move from our old house, they gave us a number, the 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 real estate agents gave us a number. I think it was something like we think this house you can put this on the market for 235 is what comes to mind. And I considered the because that, that's what their comparables said. I just looked at our neighborhood. There was a big really cool shopping center going in at the end of our street. The whole area is wonderful. I mean, there's intangibles that are, that make that area more attractive. And I just thought, yeah, we're not doing that. We're going to sell it for 280. and the real estate agent was like, listen, you know, part of my reputation is how quickly I can move houses and you put me in a weird position. And that's like, that's what i'm going to sell it for if you want to work for me that's that's the number that i feel good about um anyways it sold it sold in its second day um that's a good
0: that's a good point because we have had that happen so many times where a realtor was like i think you know 725 is the right price and we're like right. put it in eight 880 right and sure. like what and then it sells 10 offers in the first day yes and you're
1: like i live here i know what houses go for on the streets around me and i know what this house is worth Um, and i'm in the market to buy a house so i know what houses are going for anyways um yes so i said that my first question was what kind of house do we want to buy um i it's funny it's how, how much uh, energy you and I have put towards goal setting and help people helping people talk about goals and it's so important to blue sky your goals and and to put, get those goals out there for what you what's in your heart and then you can deal with reality well there's not that much money there's not that much opportunity let's let's work with that a little bit but Having having some purity in that goal, I think, is important. I, I would even suggest, this is obviously not what we're talking about right now, but if you're 22, 20, and you feel like, God's got it on my heart to find a wife. You know what would be smart to do? Get out your Bible, sit down with the Lord, and start praying through, let me make a list of what I, what I would be asking for from God. I just say that because sometimes when the Lord brings us an opportunity, we don't know it's him because we don't have. He's there's no box that we've asked him to paint in. Um, just as an example, I've got a friend, um, Aaron, who 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 you're about to talk to, Mark, and he is considering um, starting his own studio and and doing a really cool change and maybe moving to a farm and all this stuff and and there are things that are falling into place for him. It's so cool. Like he was sitting there talking to his wife about some of these plans. And that moment, a guy he hadn't talked to in years texted him about an opportunity. And they're like, whoa, this feels like this is weird. This feels like the Lord. Because when we have these things that we're starting to pray for and look for, it's so much easier to see God's movement. That's, that's my point. So my wife and I had done that at our at our old house. It, it was too small. We couldn't really host people. That was one of the big pinching points: is that we can't we couldn't host big meetings. Although, boy, we had tried. It was hard, it was difficult to host guests in our home. We wanted more kids, etc. So we started describing what's the kind of house that we want, and we said, well, we'd like it to be have this big living room space, and we'd like a place so that guests would kind of they could they could hang in and be kind of be independent and not feel like we're all uh you know getting in each other's way um i always wanted some natural space behind the house for kids to play in and explore and so you, know, you might think well you, you didn't have the money to have a house like that well that's it wasn't the question the question is what would what would a dream scenario be for us and so then we started looking out well oh gosh in this area, because of my wife's uh, event planning business, she wanted to stay around this kind of upper middle class uh, hub on the east side of Cincinnati. And she didn't want to go too far afield of that. You could get a lot, you can get a lot of house, you can get a lot of new house in the suburbs, et cetera. She wanted to be in this, in this middle area. Oh, well, if you're staying in that middle area, well, what we're looking for kind of hard to find uh, something, especially with some some kind of land or access to a forest or something. Um, and while we were looking, a friend called us and said, we know that our next door neighbors is our next door neighbor is going to sell their house. It's not on the market yet. But why don't you come look at their house? I don't even know what they're selling it for. So, OK, we went. We just came on a Saturday morning and and. I remember driving up to this house and thinking, oh, we walked into the front door of the house. I looked into the the foyer of this house and went, uh, I I mean, I almost said when we walked in the foyer, thank you so much for your time. This isn't going to work
0: because it was so awful.
1: because it was so grand it had this it was a you know a three-story foyer with an atrium and wraparound stairs that are part of the foyer and it's like oh no and then we walked into the um, uh, kitchen and it was more granite than I've ever seen in my life just everything is huge and thermador appliances and it flowed right out into the deck and right out to this living room area. And it's like, okay, I mean, it looks great, but uh, and uh, that, that was just my thought as we walked around the house. I didn't even really pay any attention to the house. It was so nice. I thought, well, th- we'll never afford this. This is not happening for us. And so I was just saying, well, this is nice. Oh, wow, there's another, oh gosh, this bedroom has its own bathroom too? Oh, wow, well look at the, hmm, you've got a great pool table in your basement and just walked around, nice. Well, try to be polite, got to the front door. I said, thank Thank you so much, she, this has been great. And the lady walks out of the house with us onto the front porch and she says, now I'm being transferred to to Seattle by my company and they they're very generous in the way that they um, pay for our our transfers and and stuff like that. And I just want you guys to know I don't have to get market value for this house. And what we, my husband and I really care about is getting a young family in here who will really love this place and really use it. And so, you know, I I just, I just want to tell you guys, don't worry about the asking price. You guys should just put in a bid for whatever you think you can afford. And that was like her parting words to us. And we smiled and shook hands. And she closed the door and I looked at my wife and just said, I wish we could tour the whole house again because now I'm interested. (laughs) Like what? And so we, you know, we ran home and now we're looking at the, well, I think there were some photos. There were some photos. It was before it it was going to be published, but we had some photos of the house. Now we're searching the photos and looking at, now we're looking at the square footage of what every room is, and dot dot dot. Against our real estate agent's wishes, we put in the number of what we could afford. It was two hundred thousand dollars less than the asking price, something like that. Um, we did one negotiation, bumped up. We talked to our our finance guy. He's like, you guys are fine. We we bumped up our price by $75,000, and she took it that morning. They didn't listen to anybody else's bid, and it was the first morning. It was where we had the house at 10 o'clock in the morning. Unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and it's been a great house for you guys ever it's, since.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic.
0: And you have added major square footage up in the trees behind
1: <laughs> <Yes>. the house. <laughs> yes. Yeah, little... Let, uh, unair air conditioned uh, living space in the trees behind the home.
0: Someday we'll do a, a treehouse episode.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, well, that's
0: it. That was a marathon on all the things about buying a house. I'm sure we probably covered about 10% of what you could talk about here. But next week, a lot of you might not be trying to move. You might just be thinking, well, I hear interest rates are low. Should I refinance my house? How does that work? I'm trying to get a house. How does all the financing work? That's probably one of the biggest areas people have questions about when it comes to either their current home or if they're looking to move. And we are going to cover financing uh, on uh, mortgage finance and how that works. and Excellent. All that jazz. So I hope that you'll tune in next week for more Excellent. fun stuff. All right. Thanks for listening uh,
1: to How to Buy a House uh, for Abraham's Wallet. This is Stephen Manuel. And
0: this is Mark Parrott. We'll catch you guys later.